Luke chapter 24 is um, our text for this morning. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 52. This is our final sermon in our series on redemption. This is the fifth one we've gone through um, about what it means and what has happened in the redemption of God through Jesus Christ for His people. Our text, Luke's, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 52. Let's read it. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So as, we've been, as I said in the introduction, we've been going through this meta-narrative of Scripture, this overarching storyline of biblical redemption, what God has done in the world and what God is doing in the world and what God will do in the world. And today we're talking about what God is doing in the world. The four acts of the meta-narrative are creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. We have one more week left. Beaver was trying to get ahead of schedule and, and provoke me in Sunday school to talk about consummation, but I made him wait. Next week, we'll talk about what is going to happen, what is coming for the church and for the world in the consummation of all things. That's next week. This week, we are in our final week of redemption. This is what God has done in the world through Christ and what He is now continuing to do in the world. Um, last week, we talked about the crowning moment of redemption, the pinnacle of it all, the center of it all, when the, when the snake crusher shows up. All along through the Old Testament, right, we were looking and looking and looking. 
When does the seed of Abraham come? When does this promised seed of the woman come along to crush the head of the serpent? When does this snake crusher show up? When does this lion from the tribe of Judah descended from the lion of King David? When does this king show up? And all along we're looking and looking and looking in the Old Testament towards Christ. Pictures of Christ in like Noah and the flood. And there's an ark through which the people of God are saved from judgment. A picture of Christ. We didn't talk about, but when they're wandering through the wilderness, Moses, they're getting bit by serpents and they're dying. They're, they're, they're basically as good as dead once they're bitten. They are dead. But if they look to the bronze serpent who's raised upon the pole, everyone who looks upon this bronze serpent is saved from their death. A picture of Christ. All through the Old Testament, looking and looking and looking towards Christ. And then last week, we saw, here is Christ. He shows up. He, he, what does He do? He lives the life we should have lived. He earns the righteous declaration from God. He is without sin. Jesus never sins. He is without sin. Yet, we see the sinless one suffers. He goes to a cross and He suffers condemnation. And that is what the work of Christ, really the, the central focus, the cross of Christ, in which we see our sins expiated or given to Christ and His righteousness imputed or given to us so that the great exchange happens. Our sin laid on Christ, His righteousness given to us through faith and repentance in that work so that we who are born dead in sins are no longer under the just condemnation and wrath of God because Christ has absorbed it all on the cross. This is the magnificent work of penal substitutionary atonement. Penal as in penalty. There's a penalty that is deserved. Substitutionary in that someone stood in as a representative for those who deserved the punishment. Atonement. One who brings unity. Atonement with God. This is what Christ has done. And then that's not the end of the story, right? If, if Jesus just dies on the cross and that's the end, well, then we wonder, did that do its job? Did that actually succeed? But we know three days later, Easter Sunday, what we celebrate, God vindicates this work of Christ on the cross by raising Him from the dead. And we could spend a lot of time talking, but we're trying to get through the meta narrative, all of the implications of the resurrection. But God does not allow Jesus to see corruption. Psalm 16.10, that, that my holy one will not see corruption or decay in the tomb, but Jesus is resurrected from the dead, proving that He did accomplish His work. Jesus goes to the cross and He cries out, It is finished. Jesus is alive. Jesus resurrects and then we see from this text He meets up with His people and He gives them a really like an immediate mission go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them a bigger picture mission, which is this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. That verse 47, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, in the name of Jesus, to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. The first mission is go to Jerusalem and wait. The Holy Spirit is going to show up and clothe you with power. 
That's what happens in Acts chapter 2, right? We can go to the book of Acts and look through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a sound of a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire descends, and people begin to proclaim the mighty works of God. If you read the whole chapter 2 there, they begin to proclaim the mighty works of God in all the languages that are present so that no one misses the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ. So that all nations can hear this good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ. They're going to go and wait. The Holy Spirit then comes up, convicts sinners of their sin, and and they're there to proclaim this message, convicting sinners of their sin, and declare the truth about Jesus Christ. The truth is what He has done and what He is going to do. The first thing we're talking about, we're talking about the last movement of redemption, which is this church age. From the time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in which every person who now believes in Jesus Christ is given the Holy Spirit. Every believer, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has sealed you. You have the Holy Spirit, which is a unique thing. didn't happen in the Old Testament. This is a new thing God is doing. But from that moment on, He sends the Holy Spirit We live in that same church age. And one of the main things I want you to think about when we we talk about this church age is what the theologians will refer to as the already and the not yet. We live in this time of the already and the not yet. Okay? Give me kind of what's that? The, The already and the not yet. The already is that Christ has finished the work. When Christ is on the cross and He's hanging there, He cries out, Tetelestai. It was on our bulletin for a few weeks. Tetelestai, which means paid in full. It is finished. It was a legal term back then that when you had a bill of sale and when you finally paid it off, they would write, Tetelestai. This bill is paid. This is, this is satisfied. No more needs to be paid. Jesus has accomplished all of the work that is necessary for our redemption. We live in the already. Christ has conquered. Christ has won. Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We live in the already. Christ has finished the work. And we live in the not yet. We live in this this interesting period of time in the church age where the full realization of what Christ has done has not yet been fully consummated. So there we, there's a little teaser for what's next week in the consummation. It has already been paid for. It has already been purchased. It is not yet fully realized. Something more is yet to come. Christ has ascended into heaven where He sits at the right hand of God the Father and we await His return and the consummation of all things. We live in this time of the already and the not yet. We live as a people. In the Old Testament, you constantly look forward. When's the, com- when's the coming one going to show up? When is the Savior going to show up? And in the New Testament, we look back. We say, He has come. Here is the one who was, who is the, here's the promised coming one. Here is the snake crusher. He has completed the work. He has fulfilled all that is necessary in the Old Testament for the salvation of His people. We look back and we look forward. He's coming again. It's already accomplished and it's not yet fully here. We live in this time of the already and the not yet. So, 
Four things. That's, that's the one kind of overarching big idea. We live in this time of the already and the not yet. All that, needs, all that um, is needed for you to be reconciled to God has been accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. Repentance and faith in Him, the forgiveness of sins, is to be proclaimed to all nations. Nothing more needs to be done. Faith in His work. And one day, the full realization of that work will come to realization when Christ returns. In the meantime, four things that the church is to be about in this season of the already and the not yet. Four things that should mark the church during its time in the already and the not yet, and they all center around the gospel. They all center around the gospel. We are to be a gospel people. We are to be a people who are proclaiming this good news that sinners can be reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ. We are to be about this gospel all the time. Four things that the church um, is to be doing in this already and not yet season. The first thing is that the church is called and caught by the gospel. The church is called and caught by the gospel. In our text, the disciples are to go out declaring repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nations. This is the Great Commission, basically, from the Gospel of Luke. Why is this the message they're to go out and deliver? Because there is no other way to be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, says there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. The church exists as a people who have been called by the gospel and caught by the gospel. There's no other way to enter into the church of God other than the gospel. The gospel is the message that saves people and brings them into the family of God. There is no other way in. You know, there's two ways to talk about the church. We can talk about the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is all of us sitting here and all the people who are sitting in churches across the globe, are members of the visible church. You can see them. Here they sit. Here they are performing religious duties, going through all sorts of you know, different customs and whatever, and they're a part of the visible church. And that's fine and good. But the other way to talk about the church is the invisible church. And the invisible church is the true church, is the church of people who have honestly been caught and called by the gospel and are in the family of God. Not all that are in the visible church are in the invisible church. So we have to ask ourselves this question. If the church is to be called and caught by this gospel message, why are we here this morning? Why are you here this morning? Let me put this, let me step on your toes a little bit maybe this morning. Why are you here? It, we have lots of family obligations. This, maybe this is the church my family has always gone to. This is where I've always gone to church. Um, my friends are here. Um, I'm here because I, I think people should go to church to get good morals. Well, congratulations, you're in the visible church. But if you're not here because God has grabbed you by the declaration of His gospel, the visible church in the end won't do you any good. The church is a gathering of those who have been called and caught by this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are to gather not out of some sort of religious performance or some sort of 
doing what we should do, or this is what my family has always done. We are to gather because of our joy in this good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Why are we here? Why are you here? Let me just say this. If you've gathered for every other reason until today, that can all change today. Today, you can show up. You can, as you're sitting here, you can, as your eyes are open, be here because of the gospel. Be here because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Not what you do for God or what you do for certain observances or to be a good person. Be here because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Living the life you should have lived, dying the death you deserved, so that through repentance and faith you could be brought into the family of God. All of those reasons are fine reasons to be in the visible church, but they are not saving. Join the invisible church. Make sure you're here today because you treasure the gospel. So the first thing is that the church is called and caught by the gospel. The disciples are to go out and proclaim this gospel because it's the only way to become a person, to become a part of the people of God. So we're to, to uh, be, we're, as a gathering, we are to be called and caught by the gospel. The second thing is that the church is to be conformed by the gospel. Not only does the gospel call us in, but the gospel, by its nature, can't help but change who we are. It cannot help but change who we are. It cannot help but change you into conformity to Christ. Now, this is not done perfectly. This does not mean that all of a sudden, because we have the gospel, we now walk around and we look just like Jesus without sin, always doing exactly what we should do. No, sadly, this is not what happens. But when the gospel takes root in your life, it cannot help but bear fruit. Ephesians chapter 2, or Ephesians chapter 4, says this is just clearly the outworkings of the gospel. Ephesians is an interesting book. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all just gospel declaration. What God has done for you in Christ. What God has done for you in Christ. Three full chapters of doctrine about what the gospel has done. And then in chapter 4, Paul switches gears and begins to talk about, now that the gospel has grabbed you, here's how that works out in your life. And it's important, that order is important. I'm not reading the first three chapters here this morning, but I, I've got to let you know that Paul does not write chapters 4, 5, and 6. Here's what you should do to earn chapters 1, 2, 3 to earn the gospel. He says this is what the gospel is. And now that you've been caught and called by the gospel, here's what the gospel does. Changes you. Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We'll continue on, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, okay, People who are caught but called by the gospel and conformed by the gospel, they put off falsehood. 
Meaning, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. That's a... That's a good rebuke there. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let all, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, ill will, mean ill will. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. When the gospel shows up, when the gospel wrecks you and saves you, when you're called and caught by the gospel, it cannot help but conform who you are. A Christian's life is to be one of thankfulness, one of gratitude for what God has done. After seeing the gospel clearly, how can you not live a life of thankfulness? How can you not live a life of gratitude? How can you not live a life of showing mercy after seeing the mercy that has been given to you in Christ? How can you not be other-centered when you see how the creator of the universe whose self-exaltation is totally justified, that he's the, the, the central figure of all of creation? And what does he do? He comes down and he serves. He serves. He doesn't look at the task of serving those who are beneath him as demeaning, but he willingly comes and serves. When you see that you have been served by the creator of the universe, how can you not likewise be other-centered and say, this is not about me getting mine. This is about others hearing the gospel, others being served. How can we not be forgiving when we see just what verse verse, uh, 32 in chapter 4 says after seeing how God in Christ has forgiven us? So the church is called and caught by the gospel. The church is conformed by the gospel. The third thing is that the church is comforted by the gospel. We still wrestle, and as, even as we read that list in Ephesians, and you say, I've been a Christian my whole life, and I still wrestle with those things, and you probably do. We wrestle with our old sinful man. The church is not about we come in the front door through the gospel, and then we get about all our self-help programs. The church is comforted by the gospel. If you've known the gospel since you were five years old, you know what you need today? You need to hear the gospel. You need to hear the good news of how Jesus Christ rescues sinners. Because still today, you wrestle with sin. Still today, we need a Savior. It wasn't like, oh, I got saved and now I'll go off and do my own thing. It is, we need His grace and His mercies every day. That's why the psalm His mercies are new every morning and we thank God that they are because the comfort that we have is the gospel. We need to wake up in the morning and be comforted anew by the gospel. We need to go to bed at night and remember the gospel. I have fallen short today. I have not done all that I should do and I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I need forgiveness and thank God that it is there. That doesn't mean we go off and intentionally do wrong, but we're honest. And wrestling with our sinful man, 
we need to be comforted by the Gospel. And the fourth thing that we are, we are caught and called by the Gospel. We are conformed, changed by the Gospel. We are comforted by the Gospel. And lastly, we are compelled by the Gospel. The church is to be compelled by the Gospel. Those in the true church are compelled by the Gospel. You know, you have no problems talking about the things that you love. You just, you don't have any problem talking, I mean... If you, if you saw Andy and started talking about wildlife and whatever, I don't even know what DNR stuff is, but if you, saw, and you started a conversation, he'd have no problem telling you about all sorts of wildlife things that I have no idea about, but he has no problem talking about what he loves, right? I work at the post office, and, and we're, we're sur- it's a bunch of guys right now. We're just all dudes showing up on a morning, sorting mail, and it's the weirdest thing because... Guys, I, I don't know, and I, I hate to just put a pigeonhole us into categories, but the men that I work with don't care about cute stories about kids. It's just not, you know, we, they're talking tractors, they're talking farm, talking weather, whatever. And I show up, and, and Doug Schwand is the other carrier. He's got a granddaughter. And inevitably, I share a cute story about my kids. I tell some story about, well, Joel did this funny thing last night. They don't care to hear about my story about my kids. But I can't help but talk about the thing that I love and care about. It's, all, it's, just, it's just nature to talk about the things that you love, the things that you care about. You're compelled to speak about them. A certain amazing event, amazing event happens, like if you watch a Super Bowl and there's some amazing thing, feat of strength, you have no problem talking about it because you're, you're amazed by it. You, you love to talk about, we delight to talk about what we love. If you enjoy the new, uh, I don't know, a special tornado out at the Dairy Suite, you become an evangelist for the banana split tornado. It only comes in a, in a medium. You can't get it in the small, or you got to get the big size. But you become an evangelist for the goodness of the banana split tornado. The church is to be compelled. We have the best news that there is. We have the best news that there is. That you, apart from your works, can be forgiven can be rescued, can be reconciled to your Creator, not through your own works, but through the works of the Son of God coming to earth, living the righteous life we should have lived, dying the death that we deserve, so that through repentance, confession of sin, I am that sinner, and faith in the work of Christ, you can be forgiven, brought into the family of God, become adopted as one of His own children, Share in his inherit, share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ as the firstborn, the, the primary inheritor from God. Share in that inheritance. How can that be? It shouldn't be, but it is. It is through Jesus Christ. We are to be compelled by this gospel. Matthew 28, the Great Commission here. We'll just read it shortly in closing. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. I could at this point turn to guilt. And I could say, you haven't done enough. You haven't, you haven't witnessed enough. You haven't evangelized enough. Go out right now and evangelize your six neighbors. And you might do it. And it might, God might may amazingly bless it and it would work. But I don't want to go that route. What I want to do and what I want for, for, to happen for you is not to put on your back something you must do. 
I want you to fall in love with the gospel. I want you to not have to work to tell someone about the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you. I want you to see it. I want to see it. I want it to be this thing that I don't have to forcibly work up. But can I not tell you about what Christ has done? Can I not tell you how messed up my day has been and how I'm rejoicing that at the end of it all, this will not be held against me because it was put upon Christ and I'm forgiven of my sins? I'm, I have peace with my Creator? I want you to fall in love with this gospel. And that because this gospel will compel you that when you're at family events and whatever and you're having conversations with your friends, you talk about what you love and what God has done for you in Christ. This is the hope I have for us. This is our prayer to give us eyes to see our hopelessness without God and the great hope that we have in Him by His pure grace through the gospel. As we come to the table this morning, this is what this is about, coming to communion. Is the work of Christ yours? Is the work of Christ your joy? Is the work of Christ your peace? It can be. It can be. Confess, repent, trust in Christ, and enjoy the benefits of being adopted as a child of God, caught and called by the gospel, conformed by the gospel, comforted by the gospel, and compelled by the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I, even as I stand up here, I'm convicted. I want to know this, your gospel in this way to see and to know what Christ has done for us on the cross, not because I deserve it, but because in this is love, not that we loved you, not that I loved you, but that you loved us and sent your Son to be the propitiation, the wrath-appeasing sacrifice for my sin. God, as we come to communion this morning, as we repent and trust in Christ, give us eyes to see it, illuminate it brighter and brighter and brighter to us every day that the hope of the gospel would be ours to the full. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.